They're like, hey, be quiet, be quiet. Listen to me. Um, all right, we're doing a series. We're doing a series right now called Why We Don't Believe. And uh, here is... Um, the, the gist of our series, we're looking at a question each week that people struggle with in the faith. We've looked at suffering, we've looked at uh, questions of evil, we've looked at um, things like, how can there only be one true religion? And so each week we're taking a question or a statement that people have against the Christian faith, we're trying to argue against that point. And so today is a really just powerful, profound statement. It's basically this. The church is all jacked up, okay? That's my assessment, all right? So today's statement is the church is all jacked up. What do we do about that? Um, I want to tell you a quick story before we get into our discussion, though. Uh, I grew up in on the East Coast in a little state called Virginia, and it's just south of Washington, D.C., and my Parents went to this pretty conservative, just Baptist church there just outside of D.C. And um, I'll give you just a brief history of that little church and what happened to really taint my view of the church as a kid. My parents went to the church before I was, I was even born, and so um, it, was a, it was a growing church. It was a flourishing church. About a thousand people were there at the time. Well, one day the pastor, the senior pastor decides he's going to split the church. So he took half the followers, half the congregants, and formed a whole other church within like two weeks. So half the church just left one Sunday. The rest of the church is just left in its wake wondering what just happened. So that was before I was born. Well, then later on, about ten years later, uh, we hired a youth pastor. And actually more like 15 years, I was a freshman in high school, and we finally hired our first youth pastor, our first full-time guy, and his name was Rob. And he was the guy that was, became really close to me. He was there the entire time I was in high school. We became real good friends, and uh, just a very influential person in my life and my walk with Christ. And so about four years into him being at our church, I was then a senior in high school. Our senior pastor at the time actually asked him and the worship pastor to resign. He said, um, I guess his reasoning was that he just didn't really get along with them. And he asked for the resignation. And one day he asked for the resignation of two pastors, the youth pastor and the worship pastor. So they too, they had a choice. They could say, okay, we're just going to resign and kind of walk away. Or we're going to sort of push the issue a little bit. Because this guy has run off every youth pastor prior to me being here. So we have a choice to make. Because in a Baptist church like the one that I grew up in, the the senior pastor can't just fire someone, but he can ask for their resignation and make things really weird for them until they just quit, you know? Because only the the congregation can vote on someone leaving or getting fired, but the pastor can't just fire someone. That's the way it's set up in the church I grew up in. So he couldn't fire them, but he could make things really weird for them to make them want to quit. And that's what he tried to do. So they both refused. Worship pastor, youth pastor both said, no, we're not going to do that because you've done that to other people before. We're not going to cower to what you're trying to make us do. So some several awkward months went by, as you would imagine. Um, The church hired this consultant from the outside to come in and evaluate things. And they hired this guy to come in and 
do interviews and interview people and figure out, okay, who's in the wrong, who's in the right. So this guy interviewed pastors. He interviewed uh, people like us. He interviewed youth. He interviewed parents. He interviewed everyone he could possibly interview to find out, okay, what is the reason for the church, this church being in such turmoil? Well, his conclusion was that everyone was at fault. He couldn't figure out who was wrong and who was right. So he just said, you know what, everyone's at fault. This church needs a clean slate. And so this consultant guy had an, had an option for um, presenting his idea to the church on what needs to happen from that point forward. And the church had two options. You could vote yes or no. It was all or nothing. Well, his recommendation was that the church fire everyone. That all four pastors just get fired from the church. So there I am sitting in a pew in my church with a card in my hand, check yes or check no, with the power to fire our entire church staff, including my youth pastor, who I was really close to. And I sat there, like, literally in tears at just what this church had come to. And I voted no. I couldn't do it. But I was in the minority. Most of the other people voted yes. And every single pastor at that point was let go, just like that. And so that tainted my vision of what the church is supposed to be. I hated the church. I was sitting there going, how how in the world can this kind of thing happen in a church? People's families uprooted as a result of just political strife and infighting. And it just tore me up. I just looked at that and thought, okay, I'm fine with Jesus, but man, I hate the church. That's how I felt. And so we're looking at this question, this idea today that the church is completely jacked up. It really is. Uh, here's a couple of quotes for you to, to think about. One person said, I have to doubt any religion that has so many fanatics and hypocrites. There are so many people who are not religious at all, who are more kind and even more moral than many of the Christians that I know. Someone else said, the church has a history of supporting injustice, of destroying culture. If Christianity is the true religion, how can this be? So there's this idea, how can all this be true when the church is so jacked up? Why is the Bible, why is Jesus not influencing the people that are in the church? So go ahead and discuss your first three questions. I'll read them quickly. Based on what you've seen in the church, has it been difficult for you to want to be a Christian? Why or why not? Secondly, how do your unbelieving friends view the church? Do they ever talk about it? What do they say? And thirdly, what recent situations have you seen in the news that make the church look bad? Go ahead and discuss. All right, let's let's discuss this a little bit. Um, I imagine that, that many in this room can probably feel like the two quotes that I just read a while ago, uh, that you've had these experiences in the church that are just negative. I mean, everyone has been there. Everyone has been there. And so I imagine that you can really personally relate to what we're talking about today. But here's what happens sometimes. I'm assuming that because you're here this morning, that you've somehow dealt with those issues, whatever those issues might have been. But there are plenty of people that, that aren't here this morning that haven't dealt with those issues. And so what people do is they, they have a bad experience with someone in the church, 
And they then take an intellectual stand against Christianity and the Bible. And they'll say things like, how can that be true when I was treated this way in the church? And I understand the question. I understand the question. But I want to challenge you in one thing, as you, if that's you, if you're someone that has had a bad experience either here or somewhere else, and you have really questioned your faith as a result of that, I want to challenge you with this this morning. Here's what it is. You cannot throw out the Christian faith. You cannot throw out Jesus because you had a bad experience in the church. And here's why. Because you don't do that with anything else. I'll explain what I mean by that. If you go to a party, I don't recommend doing that like the kind of parties I'm describing, but if you go to a party and and someone treats you like a jerk at a party, you don't walk out and go, you know what, forget partying. You just say, that guy was a jerk. And you move on, right? Or if you go to a coffee shop and the person behind the register treats you like a jerk, you don't say, forget coffee. I'm done with coffee. I've had it with coffee. Right? Now, what you do is you separate things, don't you? You say, that guy at Starbucks was a jerk, but I'll just go to a different Starbucks. Right? Or I'll go when he's not working. You separate things in life. But when it comes to the faith, for some reason, people make this leap to where they say, I was treated badly at church, and I have bad experiences at church, therefore Jesus and the gospel can't be true. And here's why I think people do that. Because in our sin, in our flesh, most of us are looking for an excuse not to believe. We are. Most of us are looking for something, just anything, like, just give me something where I don't have to believe this. And if you have a bad experience at church with someone that treated you poorly, you so easily make that leap to, well, Jesus must not be the Messiah, and the Bible must be all false, because these people aren't believing it anyway, and so on and so on and so on, and the downward spiral just goes. That's what we do in our flesh. So today we're going to look at a passage that I think should help us as we think through this idea. It's James chapter 1. Go ahead and turn there. James chapter 1, verses uh, 1 to 17. It's a long one today. We'll go through it fairly quickly. James chapter 1, verse 1. And we'll take the first seven verses here in the beginning. Here's what it says. My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges of evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have insulted the poor. It is, not the rich who, is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name of him to whom you belong? 
So he's describing this hypothetical scenario where he's saying, imagine if you were in your house, church took place often in people's homes back then. Imagine someone comes into your house, there's a guy who's wearing, he's got the, um, the jewelry, he's got the designer clothes, he's got everything that would attract people to him. Then there's the guy that walks in that's wearing like a sack. He's just got, he's dirty, he hasn't shaved in a while. He's just, he's just dirty. Just long, stringy hair. You can tell he's been on the street for a long, long time. That guy walks in. And just the reaction that you might have to both of those people. Every single one of us in that moment would probably favor the person that looks good on the outside. We discriminate. And so, go ahead and discuss these next four questions at your tables. Go ahead and discuss uh, four through seven at your tables. Go ahead and discuss. discuss these questions just briefly, and I'm looking at the clock, and I'm like, we need to actually push through pretty quick, because we're, uh, it's almost uh, 11.55. One apology, uh, thanks for um, pointing it out to me, uh, Jake, we actually had the wrong reference up there, it's actually James chapter 2, verses 1 through 17, thanks for pointing that out for me. I'm the youth pastor, I don't know anything about the Bible, um, apparently, so James 2, I mis- misprinted that. Uh, so if you're in your Bible and you're like, James, one doesn't say this. What are you talking about? Uh, James chapter 2 is where we're at, 1 through 17. All right. The first question, why is it impossible to be a believer and show baptism in the church? Here's why. Because when you're a believer in Christ, here are the things you have to believe to be a believer in Jesus Christ. To be a person of faith, you have to believe some things. One of those things is that you're a sinner. One of those things is that Jesus is perfect, and you have to place your faith in Him to be made righteous before God. And so for someone who can, can possibly be prideful about that is beyond me. How we have pride in the church just blows my mind. Because if you think about it, if, if you understand grace, understand Christ being our Savior, there's no way there's any room for pride in your soul. There's no way you should have any room for discrimination in your heart towards someone. They just, they're totally contradictory. The other question I wanted to address is uh, when it talks about that, that God shows the poor. Here's what that means. It means that if you look across our world today, most of the time it is often people who don't have a lot of things that end up responding to the gospel more quickly than those that have lots of things. Now, there's some reasons why that happens. I think because people that have lots of things obviously get sidetracked. They have those things as idols between them and God. Their their life isn't desperate, like someone who is poor. And there's not this real sense of need for God. There There just isn't. That's why the Bible says, Jesus says that it's hard for a rich man to enter God's kingdom. What he means by that, it's hard for someone to release all of that and follow him. It's just difficult. The poor person is like, I get eternal life? Sweet. Let's jump right in. They're not leaving much behind, right? So it's easier typically for people that don't have a lot to want to follow Jesus. That's just, throughout history, if you look at the history of the world, that's just what has happened, typically. 
in a lot of places. Um, now, all throughout the Bible, we also see that God chooses people that are the least likely people. And in this passage, it's talking about the poor. It's talking about people that you wouldn't think God would choose, but God chooses them anyway. He chooses them. And so here's, here's the big point. In verse 4, he says, Have you not discriminated among yourselves? What he means by that is this person is your family. If they're a believer in Christ, they're your family. It's like discriminating against someone that's in your family. If they're poor, they're still part of your family. James goes on to say that those who show favoritism are judges with evil thoughts. He's saying that showing any kind of discrimination or favoritism of any kind is just simple, pure evil. Most of us think that that favoritism is kind of like one of those uh, not-a-big-deal kind of sins. But James puts it in the category of evil. He says it's evil. It's just sheer evil to say you're better than somebody else. And so it's also saying that if God chooses the poor, and so if you're someone who does discriminate for any reason, then you are now choosing so, you're now not choosing someone that God has chosen. How arrogant is that? How arrogant is it for us to not choose someone that God has chosen, saying, okay, God, I've, I've got a better plan here than what you have. I'm going to show discrimination toward this person in favor of this person because I know better than you. That's just sheer arrogance and sheer evil. Now, the question you might be asking is, okay, how does this passage fit in with today's topic? Here's the answer. Just because you've been treated badly in the church, discriminated against, shown favoritism doesn't mean you throw out the Christian faith. And here's why. Because the Bible agrees with you that it's evil. No one should be treated that way. The Bible agrees with you. So if you're someone who is here right now and you're saying, okay, I've been treated this way in the church. I don't think that's right, that's not right, that's wrong, I have good news. The Bible agrees with you. So how can you look at the book of the Bible and say, I was created this way over here, therefore this can't be true. Because the Bible says the exact same thing that you feel. It says that it's evil. The Bible agrees with you. So you can't throw that thing out just based on your experience. You you can't do it and remain intellectually honest with the discussion. You just can't do that. That cannot be the, the conclusion that you are led to. Now, this next passage shows us how evil this kind of thing really is in the body of Christ. Here's what it says in verse 8. If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point of it is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, have you become a lawbreaker? Or you have become a lawbreaker? Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Will not be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. 
All right, two more questions. And go ahead and discuss the questions eight and nine at your tables. All right, I apologize. We've got to move quick because uh, the clock's ticking away. Um, but what I want you to get from this part of the passage is essentially this. Verse 11, it says, in verse 11 it says this. Let me get there. It says, For he who said, Do not commit adultery, also said, Do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. What he's saying is that if you, if you just break one of the laws, any of the laws... You've broken the whole thing. If you break just one little tidbit of the law, you've broken the entire thing. Now, for most of us, we'll say, okay, I haven't done the bad things. We don't know what the bad things are, right? So I'm a pretty good person. But his point is that even if you've done something like show favoritism or discriminate, you have broken the entire law. So God basically looks at you as if you did commit murder, as if you did commit adultery, because you're in that same category of people. You're a lawbreaker. You're a lawbreaker. So Jesus, in other parts of the New Testament, Jesus said this. He said the whole law can be summed up how. What did he say? Remember? There are two things. What did he say? Okay, love your neighbor. And what else? You don't have to pass the test. <laughs> he said two things. The whole law can be summarized how? You're missing one really important one. Love God. Love God. <laughs> it's Sunday, definitely. It's Sunday morning for sure. Um, he said love God, and he said love your neighbor. Right? He says the whole law can be summarized as those two, as those two points. So when someone discriminates... They're not showing love to their neighbor. Obviously, they're breaking the entire essence of the law. So for someone to say, okay, yes, I've shown favoritism, I've discriminated against someone else, but I didn't murder. I mean, the whole point of the law was to love your neighbor, right? That was the whole point. Of, that was the essence of the law. But you've broken the entire essence of the law. That's what you've done if you discriminate against somebody else. Here's the deal about favoritism is that if you have shown favoritism towards someone else or oppressed someone in the church in any way, that you need the exact same grace that Jesus gives to the murderer. You need the exact same grace that Jesus gives to the adulterer. It's not like Jesus has like a bunch of little bags of grace up here and he says, okay, what was your sin? You're a murderer? Okay, let me go over here and get this grace for you. All right, here you go. Here's your grace. Oh, you were... You just showed favoritism? Okay, you get the smaller bag of grace. Here you go. It's not like he reads into a bag and pulls out different grace for different people. Every single person needs the exact same grace. Every single sin that we commit has nailed Jesus to the cross. Everything. Your favoritism nailed Jesus to the cross. It still put him on the cross. So we can't separate these things. Look at the uh, next few verses here. It says, What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? 
Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well. Keep warm and well fed. But does, but does nothing about his physical needs. What good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Here's what he's saying. Imagine if someone came into this room. We have a worship service every Sunday morning. We're worshiping God. We're singing songs. We're preaching from the Bible. And someone says, Hey, I need a meal. And we're like... You know what? Let me pray for you. I'm going to pray that someone brings you a meal. Let's just pray right now. Dear Jesus, I pray that somebody, I don't know where they'd come from, but somebody would just bring this person a meal. Amen. Have a good day. See you later. And you walk out. That is essentially what we do, though. If someone's faith isn't put in action, the faith is dead. It's a non-existent faith. It's not like they have a half faith. It's like a non-existent faith. It was not put in action. So here's what he's saying. He's saying faith leads to works. We're not saved by our works, but our works prove that we have faith. And so here's what he's also saying. I want you to catch this. He's also saying that there are plenty of people in the church who aren't really saved. He's saying there are plenty of people that that attend church that aren't true believers. That's what he's also saying. So so the people in the church that treated you badly and made you want to bail on the church, there's two possibilities. Either those people aren't saved, or in that moment they weren't living out the gospel. One of those two things is true. Either in that moment they weren't letting the gospel take root in their life, or, on the other hand, they're not really saved. Because this passage says that it's impossible for a believer to treat someone with favoritism. That's the first thing it says. The second thing it says, there are plenty of unsaved people in the church. So you cannot look at behavior in the church and say, this whole thing can't be true. Jesus can't be real. The Bible has to be, can't be true because I was treated badly in the church because the Bible agrees with you that it was wrong. Jesus agrees with you that it was wrong. You can't say that they're false, but the people that did it to you might be false. Might be false. Three last points and we're done. Here's my challenge to you. Don't reject Jesus because of what you see in the church. Don't reject Jesus because of what you see here in the church. We're sinners. We are. That's not our identity, but we still sin. Second point. Don't reject the church because of what you see in the church. This is where I was. When I was your age, I was like, I'm done with the church. The church is just so full of hypocrites and evil, political infighting. I I can't tolerate it anymore. Don't reject the church because of what you see in the church. You see, the church is full of broken, messed up people who've got a long way to go. Someone said this quote. They said, the church is a hospital for sinners. Go ahead and put the next quote up there. Media shout person. There we go. Church is a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. When you go to the hospital, you find sick people. Uh, the point of this place is not to have people... This is not like a faith hall of fame here, believe me. This is a hospital for people that are messed up just like me, just like you. 
That's what we're here for. It's going to be messy sometimes. Um, last point. My challenge to you is to focus on Jesus, not the church. If you're going to help fix the church, it's going to be because we're all, as a whole, focusing on Jesus and looking at Jesus and reminding ourselves that he's not the one that's in the wrong here. We are. You will not fix the church by just focusing on the church. The church cleanses itself when it focuses on Jesus. When it focuses on God's word, it cleanses itself from sin. So make that your focus today. You know, um, as we're kind of wrapping up, I know that there's uh, a lot of situations in here. There's lots of people that have probably been burned by the church and on some level. It could have been us. And on the one hand, I want to apologize for us if that's you. Um, so on the one hand, I want to pastor you. I want to kind of help you walk through that. But I also wanted just to let you know this morning that, that you, you can't throw out your faith. You, you can't throw out Jesus based on just what you see here. Because Jesus, like I said, Jesus would agree with you that we are sinners. The Bible agrees with you that things that happen in this place are wrong sometimes. And the question is, how do you respond to that? How do you respond to that? I'm going to pray for you. God, I praise you for for your word and how clear it is. I praise you for uh, just being a God that lets us see passages like this and lets us know that um, that you are trying to cleanse us. You're trying to make us more like you. And that is a process. That's a journey for everyone in this room, God. There's, there's not one of us um, is there yet. Not one of us is complete. God, I pray that you would help Anybody in this room that does not know you yet, they would begin following you. They'd make a decision to follow after you. I also pray for those that are struggling that you would just help us to um, be good shepherds and be good pastors to them as they walk through just some difficult times in high school, but also some difficult times um, as they uh, can often be treated badly in the church. I pray this in your name. Amen. We love you guys, and we'll see you guys on uh, Wednesday night. Don't dress scary.